Welcome to episode one of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. I'm excited to have with me today a fellow member of Lead Boston Class of 2015. Lead Boston is an executive education program that focuses on the inner workings of Boston and socially responsible leadership. I met my guest initially through his work at Fenway Institute, which was launched in 2001 by Fenway Health as an interdisciplinary center for research, training, education, and policy development, focusing on national and international health issues, especially related to the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender communities. Currently, he is the vice president of multicultural initiatives and health equity at the American Heart Association and American Stroke Association, where he is focused on engaging and cultivating community partners in the fight for equitable health outcomes within communities of color. Please join me in welcoming Benjamin Perkins. Benjamin, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I just want to jump right in. I know my audience will be curious to hear a little bit more about you and your day-to-day, but since this is a podcast about leadership and building great networks, so tell me, what does leadership mean to you, and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Oh, uh, leadership means to me, I guess I'll I'll start with the second part of that question, which is um, sort of how I came to understand myself as a leader. And I have to say that it probably goes back about 40 years um, when I was in sixth grade in in Mrs. Durham's class. And um, I remember in our little, so sixth grade back then, I was, I grew up in Los Angeles. So sixth grade was the end of elementary school. And so you have a graduation and everything. And I remember in my little autograph book, my sixth grade teacher uh, mentioned the fact that I had leadership skills. And, uh, and, <laughs> That's and awesome. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't quite understand what she meant. Uh, but what was what was interesting about it was now, you know, in, in, in hindsight, of course, I was I think I was student body president and I had won a contest to speak. Um, I had written a, a speech about why Martin Luther King's birthday should be a national holiday. So I'm dating myself because this is before MLK Day. Um, and I, so I won this contest and I was always, you know, speaking before audiences and things. And so she had this sense of me as a leader, even before I had real language, I just knew I did stuff, but I didn't think of myself so much as a leader. And, um, then, you know, so fast forward a few years, um, junior high, I had some leadership activities, but it was really in high school when, um, I got re- I got incredibly involved in student leadership, and I was class president for three of six semesters. Wow. And so I was, you know, incredibly active. Uh, some would say almost compulsively so uh, in high school. And I think it was at that point where I had the sense that I was a leader of some sort. So you know, it's amazing. I love when people are able to dig back to the earlier parts of our life you know my father had a 
had a flea market booth when I was between eight and 14 years old. And, and I, you know, gravitated to working there and yes, took every kind of position in school. And those, those early experiences really do influence, particularly when people support you. And it sounds like that teacher in sixth grade sort of helped you see yourself as a leader and, and helped you maybe nurture that inner sense and, and follow those pathways because people were appreciating what you were offering. Mm-hmm. Can, can you give us a little sense of kind of how you then got to where you are today? Oh, well, that's a, that's a 50 year story, but, um, you know, it, um, leadership, there were, there were points in my life where I, I, you know, in, in hindsight, again, I think leadership was kind of dormant, but it was one of those things that invariably cropped up. So when I was in college, I didn't necessarily engage in a lot of leadership activity, although I was, I think at some point I was an officer in my fraternity. Um, And, you know, fast forward uh, several, you know, a a decade or two later, and I found myself in in the world of public health, uh, specifically in HIV AIDS and community mobilization. And then um, that those opportunities doing that work uh, the leadership stuff kind of sprouted up again. So I found myself, for instance, when I got to the Fenway Institute in the early part of the 2000s uh, and took on a role as, um, well, you know what, I'll back up a little and say when I was at Harvard Divinity School, uh, moved here in, moved to the Boston area in 1996, uh, got uh, started at Harvard Divinity School and was incredibly active at Harvard Divinity School in leadership, uh, specifically in the LGBT community. So I became one of the co-chairs of the, the LGBT student group uh, and, and helped to uh, create a conference that we had celebrating the 25th anniversary of that organization. Uh, got elected my cl- the class marshal, so that meant at graduation I got to carry the Divinity School banner. Uh, and so I was really active there. Um, it, it, it was sort of like all those experiences prior uh, sprouted. All the all the all the things that I learned kind of came to again in my experience at Divinity School. Uh, got really interested in HIV/AIDS and public health, and started working at the Fenway Institute in two thousand one. And uh, a lot of the work we did was through part of federally funded networks. So I had the opportunity to go to lots of meetings, national, international meetings, and found myself uh, representing community educators and in leadership roles and speaking uh, from the perspective of the community educators mm-hmm. and talking about our uh, specific needs and, and advocating for our needs and, and all of those things. So. so- so with all that in mind, now how would you define how would you define leadership? Oh, how would I define leadership? I think leadership for me is ultimately about the the capacity to inspire people to be the, their best selves. Um, if you can't do that, I don't think you can really be an effective leader uh, because what you're ultimately trying to do is get people to um, to do something that might be scary, um, that might take them out of their comfort zone, um, 
but to get them to do something ultimately that I, at least in my view, could potentially be transformative. Uh, but you got you got to inspire people uh, first and foremost uh, in order to to get to get to where you need to go. That's such a key. Uh, I think it's a key piece of being a leader is the idea of inspiring others and also, I guess, inspiring them to be their best selves and contribute in ways that maybe they didn't even think they could. Right. You know, inspiring that leadership as well. Yeah, that's a that's something definitely I think you learn maybe as you go um, from people that are doing that for you, inspiring you, and then you in turn can do that for others. Mm-hmm. It seems to be a thread in the work that you've done um, for all these different decades that you say you've been committed since sixth grade <laughs> to taking leadership. So, you know, give us a little sense about the work you're doing right now. What do you find most rewarding about that work? That's a great question. I think what I find most rewarding is um, this deep sense that if I am doing my job right, that there is a potential to be a part of a more equitable and just society. And specifically in the case of the work I'm doing, that translates into better health outcomes. Um, Meaning that um, in the case of blacks and African-Americans in the United States, we have the highest rates of hypertension in the world. Um, you know, Latinos have incredibly high rates of, of cardiovascular disease and stroke. So if I'm doing my job really well, um, the needle is moving. Mm. I play a part in moving that needle in a more equitable uh, direction. And that translates into, uh, in, in our mission, we talk about lives free of cardiovascular disease and stroke. Well, so, you have certainly signed up for a difficult task and the yes. work you're doing today, but also the many years you were working with Fenway Institute and your prior role, just the idea of doing public health and working in communities. I'm imagining there's a lot of challenges. Could you just share with us something challenging about the work you've done and and how you overcame it? Oh, um, let's see. I one, I, I was thinking not specifically about an incident, uh, sort of, you know, the critical incident kind of thing, but more about a, an overall experience um, for me, which I think about the work I did at the Fenway Institute, um, specifically when I became the project leader of, a, at that point in time, an unnamed uh, HIV prevention uh, feasibility project uh, aimed at black queer black men or men who have sex with men, um, and so I was hired in that role to uh, to lead that project. So that's another example of leadership, and um, I had the amazing opportunity of assembling, hiring a team of passionate, committed black gay men. Mm. Um, and that was an experience that was unlike anything that the Fenway had ever encountered. Uh, it was a three-year journey, and it was an amazing experience from start to finish because there were lots of challenges having to do with cultural competency, or some would argue lack thereof, um, all of the challenges that individuals had with the institution, um, 
with the broader sort of um, leadership at the at the national level, all of the kinds of issues that you think might come up when you have a group of marginalized individuals who are um, mobilizing to really transform their communities through through passionate action. And so, you know, the, the, there were just the challenges of navigating or, or trying to steer that team in ways that um, ultimately could result in us meeting our goals, which whether it be um, trying to identify whether a particular intervention truly had impact or um, just making sure that we recruited the number of folks that we were sort of tasked with recruiting um, all, you know, just all of those challenges to the interpersonal workings of, of, um, of dealing with people who are from the same group and our internalized racism and all those sorts of things, but making sure at the end of it that we did good work and that we were proud of what we did and that it potentially had impact, again, to move the needle in a positive direction because we were talking about a population that in terms of HIV infection in the United States is the bullseye, mm -hmm. um, highest rates. Um, and so, you know, it was, it was an amazing experience. It was challenging, um, but at the end of it, I think we all did work that we could be proud of. That sounds, that, that's like the, the best kind of challenge is where you really stick with it. It sounds like it was a multi-year process. You were along the way also strengthening the institution that you were working with. Maybe there were areas where they were not feeling as strong about their cultural competency and clearly going through that process. They were going to build new pathways into communities and, and really have to stand up behind a lot of, you know, theory and policy and, and act out on things and to have this opportunity for this community members to really step in and take leadership themselves and not not be served but to organize <laughs> you know it's really right. a different model than I think a lot of service organizations are used to it's it sounds like you you left uh, maybe the organization in a better place by having lived through that time period yes yes absolutely so you know, when we're striving for success, there's always this fear of, of making mistakes or, or failing or being wrong. You know, could you share a little bit about something you're not very good at and, and how do you deal with that? Something I'm not very good at. I'm not very good at difficult conversations. Um, and there are books written about that, of course. And I, I have one though. I've never read it. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, you know, being having to have tough conversations, whether it's related to performance or even um, the conversations, although I think I'm getting better, the conversations around justice and equity. And sometimes those conversations are difficult conversations um, because we are talking about bringing consciousness um, to individuals, institutions that often behave in unconscious ways. And so, you know, one of my mantras now is unconsciousness does not equal innocence. Um, mm -hmm. So, so mm -hmm. part of sort of, you know, disabusing, it, it can be hard. Um, you know, confrontation for me is often hard. Um, 
for a lot of reasons. Um, I think some of it is around the challenges of being, uh, uh, you know, a man, a gay man of African descent and some of the challenges around race and, and culture and feeling like you don't want to be typecast as being angry or overly emotional or those kinds of things and feeling like I'm sort of navigating that all the time. And I think sometimes it translates um, into a lot of difficulty around, um, you know, those difficult, challenging, prophetic kinds of conversations that need to happen. I really appreciate you you sharing that part of it because you're right. As any leader will have a challenge with challenging or difficult conversation, but you're bringing in the fact that in some ways, based on your identity and or how you're perceived, you're going to also have other layers you have to work through that some of it's internal to you and a lot of it is just how other people are going to perceive you. And so you want to be forthright and honest and direct, but sometimes that will backfire (laughs) by being forthright, honest, and direct and having to constantly maybe um, shift a little bit the language and and how you're speaking and what you're saying. Um, That's an acquired skill. And and as a leader, knowing how to communicate difficult ideas is is like a thing, an ongoing learning process. Right. I don't know many people who are like, I love having those conversations. (laughs) Um, but you've named it. It's a really critical part of being a leader is, is being able to, to have those honest moments and push back on people. We're not learning any other way. Um, no, you know, like you said, could you repeat what was the uh, unconsciousness is not innocence, innocence, unconscious is not innocence. I think that's beautiful. You know, it also maybe that helps you uh, push yourself to act because you know <laughs> that if they stay unconscious, that doesn't actually solve things. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's true. That's the, <laughs> it sounds like the kind of work you do isn't work that you leave at the office. Uh, you know, it's sort of with you 24 seven. A lot of it is very identity driven. It's the community that you live in and work with. So how do you balance that out, you know, outside of work? Um, mm-hmm. What is, what does downtime look like for you? Um, so you know, some of it, so downtime looks like for me really sort of disconnecting as much as I can from work. Um, you know, I, as I was, I was having a conversation with one of my team members, one of my staff, and I, so I was on vacation um, last week and I told her, I said, you know, I see vacations as a Sabbath. I said, so at a certain point, I will not be accessible. You know, I, you know, I am not going to be available because I need the time away to replenish, to recharge. And if I'm constantly engaged in this work, I'm not, I'm not going to, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to recharge. And uh, so really setting some firm boundaries so that I can, just un you know unwind some of it for me it's really a kind of spiritual discipline so meditation sitting in silence you know of course with my own thoughts because they never stop but the fact that i can sit um you know i sit for um on average about 20 minutes a, a day in silence um 
is really important as part of my practice of um, learning ways to to be to stay centered, to stay on the beam. Um, those are you know those are some of the things that uh, come to mind when I think about um, the piece around you know self care and mm-hmm. yeah. I think it's so important because the people I know that are really passionate in their work, it's a fear of burnout is my concern, you know, doing this 24 seven. And I love that you aren't just hoping to have some time off, but you're also sharing that with your team and setting up some expectations so that you can more easily, you know, as hard as it is more easily leave work behind and go and take that break. But you're also really involved with a lot of, community uh, events and organizations separate from your work that are a little bit like downtime for you as well. Maybe share a little bit about the other work that you're doing. Sure. So um, the two things that come to mind um, immediately. So while I have, I no longer work at Fenway as a staff person, I am still involved uh, with Fenway health as a board um uh, board member. So I've just recently been appointed to their board of directors. And uh, so that's something I, I do as well. Um, and part of, excuse me, the, the main reason why I'm, I'm very interested, I mean, I've had a long history with Fenway. I did an internship when I was in graduate school. I worked there. I was the co-chair of their men's event fundraiser. I met my husband through through the the fundraiser. So Fenway has played a major part of my professional and personal life. So, um, but I'm also committed to um, uh, really holding the organization's feet to the fire and making sure that it stays true to that mission, which is about providing, you know, healthcare to individuals regardless of their ability to pay. And that, you know, in the, in the greater community, um, so I, f- I feel like it's important for me to stay involved with that organization. And so I'm, I'm on their board. Um, on the more spiritual side, um, I was recently became an ordained minister and I'm active in um, a congregation, Hope Central Congregation in Jamaica Plain. And um, so I'm quite active and uh, involved in uh, several different committees uh, as well as sort of being a minister at large there. So, um, and it's a, it's an incredible community, diverse, uh, really committed to social justice, racial justice, um, all those things that, that feed me, uh, spiritually. And, uh, so it's an important part of my overall, uh, spiritual and mental health, uh, to, to remain active in a, in a faith community, um, because I, I ultimately realized that uh, a lot of what I'm talking about when I talk about health equity, I, I, I think of it as first and foremost a spiritual principle. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, I go there to get my fuel so that I can, you know, live out the spiritual principle uh, and get, you know, get the 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 charge I need to to go out in the world and and um, and make you know make some make some uh, impact. In, in it what sounds like you've really been thoughtful about how to stay connected with an organization that you've had such a long history with. And so to now, you know, lead, not, no longer be on staff at Fenway Health, but to join their board, therefore having a leadership opportunity and to continue to influence their mission and, and support their mission, 
but that you also found a way to find community that really helped you kind of round out your life and and create that sort of support space that space of of you know re regain your energy and kind of get ready back out into the world because you know the world might be a bit of a fight and an upward battle so um this this community space this church space has been i think you know like a healing space it sounds like as well as an opportunity for you to take some leadership and hold that space for other people so absolutely yeah that's really nice that you you get to be in service and still get you know your battery charged (laughs) um which i think you know it's finding ways to do this work that doesn't deplete you that's really hard especially you know you're going at it for so many years um i think people do fear hitting that wall i mean like forget it i'm done um so your your sort of day job and your extracurricular are all sort of in that social justice vein of giving and serving but you're also getting so much and i imagine that like the not just the fact that you met your husband the people and probably your your community your best friends you've met now through all this time of doing this work could you share a little bit about you know what your life has changed maybe in the last five or ten years like the network you've created and, and what are the ways you nurture those relationships your professional network Oh, let's see. So in terms of my professional network, um, you know, it's it's been uh, fairly, you know, I've had a, a core of folks who've been a part of my professional network now for almost, you know, I guess, particularly, I think back to when I got involved with Fenway, uh, when I started working there in 2001. And, um, you know, got the opportunity to meet some amazing, compassionate, committed folks who I have stayed in touch with over the years and we have worked together in various capacities. So, um, you know, I I love this idea, although I have to be honest, I, I don't actually have one, but this idea of creating your own personal board of directors. Mm. Um I love, you know, I love that idea. And maybe someday soon, hopefully sooner rather than later, I will assemble something like that. But there are go-to people that I have in my life. And these are folks who have, you know, seen me through a lot, you know, both personally and professionally. So, you know, see, these are some friends who've been to my wedding, my ordination, um, you know, who we've served on committees for, Things like uh, HIV vaccine awareness campaigns. Uh, you know, we've we've been in the trenches for a long time in a lot of different capacities, and we've built a fondness and mutual respect for each other. So that you know, when something comes up that we need to talk through or whatever, we can call each other and uh, and have honest discussions. Because I think that's a key part of building that professional network is having people you can be really honest with and that you can be vulnerable with uh, because there are, you know, there are clearly places where vulnerability doesn't necessarily play well. And so to be able to have those places and spaces where you can be open and honest and vulnerable and trust that, you know, you're going to be held um, literally and or metaphorically um, is, is an important part for me of my professional development because 
there in many ways a lot of this work is also it's not it's not all about success some of it is failure and some of it is hard and and painful and so to be able to to have folks in my network who I can share that stuff with to me is actually the most transformative stuff because it's you know it's easy as I think JFK supposedly I, I remember watching some footage of him after Bay of Pigs fiasco and he said you know he took responsibility for the fiasco and he said um, you know success um, has uh, uh, he said something about success having a million parents and and uh, defeat is an and failure is an orphan mm. and so mm. this idea of having places who can hold you in your your or, your orphanness um, <laughs> is is really is has been very important to me. I mean it sounds like you don't have an official personal board of directors but that you have nurtured these connections for you know 15 years now and so maybe unofficially you do you know who your go-to people are do you now that you're not working closely with them, you've all moved to different you know organizations. Are you thoughtful about how you stay in touch? Is there a specific method or plan, or is it more of a we know we're going to cross paths along the way? Yeah, it's more more of the latter. Um, although, you know, I'm certainly open to being much more intentional and having a discipline about it. Uh, because I, I do feel like it's it's the world is such with technology. It is such a dizzyingly busy place, and it becomes more important. It becomes important now more than ever to develop a kind of discipline about this stuff because it's because. I find that life can be profoundly disorienting, just the sheer number of demands, uh, you know, with technology and, and easy accessibility and, you know, 24-7 availability and all those kinds of things. If I'm not intentional, uh, it can, you know, time will pass. And, you know, next thing you know, it's been months, it's, you know, heaven forbid, years before I've connected with some of those folks I mean, the beauty of it is with some of those folks, I know that even if we don't talk for several months, we can, you know, I can call them up and it's just like we never, you know, we never missed a beat. But I also feel like I don't want to get into the habit of that being sort of a norm. So maybe this uh, this interview will will encourage you to think about setting yourself up to have regular coffee or drinks or phone chats with people it's it's a discipline i like the way you're framing it because without that thoughtfulness it time can pass i'm i'm a big fan of high-tech tools for this um but i have a low-tech uh one that i'm going to share which i heard a while ago you just get a box of index cards and you write a friend's name or a colleague's name on an index card and the whatever cards on top of the pile you make an effort to reach out to them in some way and you write a little note saying you did and you put them to the back of the pile and then you have the next person pop up. So when you have 15 minutes, you're like, what can I do to be thoughtful and reach out to this person, make plans, just say hello. Um, sometimes we overthink it. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> and I love the I love the the low tech image because I in some ways I even though we are you know well into the twenty first century, I think a part of my imprinting well my imprinting is twentieth century, mm. and so that I think for me is is the great struggle of of being a twentieth century imprinted human being living in now in the twenty first century with this sort of maddening amount of technology that promised to make our lives easier. And I don't necessarily know that it has. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you like high tech, I actually, the high tech version is a program called contactually, uh, spelled contact, contact, and then actually C O N T A C T U A L L Y. And, um, yeah, I, I, I use that. It's it just does little reminders. Like you said, you wanted to reach out to this group of people every two months, and it's been two months, and you haven't. So little things like that. Particularly, it's even more helpful for people that I don't think about every month and wouldn't mm-hmm. think to call, and it's sort of the weaker ties. Um, okay. So I'll, I'll send you a little link. <laughs> okay, great. And for folks uh, that are interested, I'll have the information in the show notes, and I'll uh, – um, maybe I'll blog about the low tech version as well, because I do think that in some ways we need to get out of our own way and just make sure we nurture these relationships, particularly as we move through our career and we change jobs. There are some amazing people that we've met along the way. We want to you know, create those networks. Yeah. And speaking of which, if you were thinking back to when you were 25 and you were kind of getting your career started, is there one piece of advice that you would give your yourself, your younger self, to encourage you to build a strong and supportive network. One piece of advice, um, I think it goes back to a little bit of what we were talking to earlier, uh, just before this, which is the the discipline of um, you know just identifying those folks who you can be honest and, you know, and, and open and, uh, and really real with and cultivating those relationships, um, and doing it with the, with the, with the kind of discipline so that, um, you know, you really, you, you, you have these things that you're nurturing that over time are going to be these solid, solid kinds of relationships that will um, make all the difference in both your personal and professional life. Because I think, you know, ultimately with the with professional, um, you know, professional relationships, they more often than not, if they are of any depth, um, bleed into in a, in, a, in a very good way. You know, your 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 personal. Um, you know, feminist, feminist adage that personal is the, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. personal is political or personal is the, is the professional too. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, if you could choose to work with people you really liked, you would. So why wouldn't those people then become your right. friends? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That's great. I, I, that's great advice. And, uh, and hopefully, uh, those listening will take it and to heart. And it sounds like you kind of did, you found your own way to build those connections along the way and um, be thoughtful and, and stay in touch. Um, and you're also acknowledging that sometimes in this 24 seven busy world, that's, that's actually becoming more difficult. Um, it's, it's funny that I used to love being on the phone as a teenager and now someone emailed me and just said, yeah, call my cell, but didn't say when, 
mm-hmm. <laughs> and I like didn't know. <laughs> I was like, um, now when? Like I got <laughs> nervous about calling out of the blue, you know, even though they were expecting me to do so. Right. Um, whereas before, you know, you just you just called people. Um, right. That was just something you always did. So we should all remember that that device in our pocket makes phone calls. <laughs> it doesn't yes. just surf the web and go on Facebook. <laughs> yes. So if I were uh, talking to you a year from now and we were looking back at what a successful, amazing year it has been, what kind of accomplishments would we be celebrating? Um. Person or professionally, I think certainly um, feel having a, a, a tangible sense that the team that I lead is more cohesive. Um, I've stepped into a role that was vacant for about six years, and so in the absence of a leader, uh, people have sort of orbited off into their own. Yeah, they just sort of been in their own orbits. And um, so, you know, one of the big tasks I have um, ongoing is to build a team, uh, to build some cohesion for, um, you know, for folks to feel like they are actually part of a team, that we have a common goal. Um, so, I, you know, one of the things I hope to see is is some real... Uh, signs that the culture has changed so that my team members uh, actually do believe they're part of a team. So that's, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, you know, success would also look to me like um, uh, having had the opportunity um, to really do a lot of work around raising the awareness of what equity is all about and why equity is important and why it's really, you know, the North star. Um, so that folks in my organization and the volunteers who work for the organization have a deeper understanding of why equity matters. Um, because I think once people get it, it's one of those things that, um, you know, there's a zeal that happens because they start to see that, oh, yeah, 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 this is why it matters. This is why it makes sense. This is why it's the right thing. Um, so that would, to me, would be an amazing thing um, to, to do the work that I'm doing and to see that um, folks are actually getting it and that it's translating into the kinds of activities in communities of color specifically that could potentially uh, transform them for the better. Well, I really hope that we talk a year from now and you can share that those things came to pass because those are really wonderful goals to have um, on a professional front. And then I know that you've got a wonderful personal life as well and, and great friends. So hopefully you'll be celebrating a lot of successes there as well. I'm going to include in my show notes uh, a link to your LinkedIn profile. So if folks want to be in touch with you, they can. This has been just a fantastic conversation, and I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. And I hope you hope you have a great rest of the week. Yes, thank you so much. It was wonderful talking to you, and uh, and good luck with this platform because uh, I think it's I think it's wonderful. 
Hope you enjoyed that interview with Ben Perkins. It's such a pleasure to talk with him and learn more about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something that you can put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Perhaps it was when Ben said it was important to be surrounded by people you can be really honest with and really vulnerable. In other words, you should get a personal board of directors. If you don't know how to get started, you should check out Dory Clark's book, Reinventing You, which includes a section on building your personal board of directors. I'll include a link to her book in the show notes, as well as a brief excerpt of her suggestions for getting started. I'd like to thank you again for listening to this episode of On the Schmooze. As I've just launched this podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you'd take the time to subscribe and leave a rating and review on iTunes. Include your Twitter handle so I can say thank you. By subscribing and leaving a rating and review on iTunes, you're helping this podcast get discovered by more listeners. Thank you, and I'll be back next time with a solo show about a really vexing issue that impacts professional women. Take care. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.